This session is entitled, The War Between Two Seeds. You're going to learn why the focus of our salvation is about experiencing the presence of God's kingdom now. The work we apply ourselves to is eternal in nature. The skills we develop, the relationships we build, the stewardship we cultivate, they are all transferable traits that we will use even in eternity. We also want to identify the secular agenda that steeps our thinking in worldly assumptions that needs to be exposed so that we can engage the process of allowing Christ to redeem our minds. Our goal is to help you identify actions you can pursue to facilitate the renewal of the mind that will be part of a broad Exodus strategy to lead you out from a humanistic worldview towards a biblical worldview. We believe that through this, you can become skilled to recognize God's presence and his wisdom that is available to you in your work, which in turn will change your work motivations, your productivity, and your work ethic. With that, here's Dennis Peacock. So as we look at the session that we're going to be getting into, it's entitled The War Between Two Seeds, which is a reference to the war between big ideas in one sense. Um, I want us to talk a little bit about how cultural ideas have shifted and changed since you originally did this material 25 years ago. But at the same time, in one sense, the ideas really haven't shifted at all. They're still the same manifestation of the typical kind of humanistic ideas. So on one level, how have the ideas remain the same? And on the other level, how are they slightly morphed and, and are different today? I want to put this into a, a more of a conflict, a military conflict response. <clears throat> when in conflict, when your enemy is no longer trying to hide what they're doing, if you do get in that situation, it's because they think they have such a superiority and advantage that they no longer need to be concealing it from you. Mm -hmm. And that is the way I would speak, and that is the way that I actually live in terms of the kinds of things that I'm doing now myself, where I'm putting my time, people I'm working with, etc. And I've tried to communicate to anybody that I influence the speed at which this thing is becoming unraveled and the speed at which the enemy, uh, not the enemy because there are enemy people, but they're carrying the disease of enemy ideas. We have to separate ideas from people. Is the left and those that are trying to create the plantation reality of dependency uh, which I use as a shorthand for socialism is the plantation. They want slaves and they want complete authority over the slaves. They're not even trying to hide anymore in their what they're advancing politically, what they're advancing socially, et cetera, et cetera, which tells me as a student of warfare that they believe that they are safe enough 
and what they're doing, they don't have to even conceal it. So 25 years ago, when I was preaching, you know, on the war between two seeds, I actually started preaching that in the mid eighties. Um, it was obscure to a lot of people. It was relatively irrelevant. Uh, it was only social experts, so to speak, that could really hear what I was trying to say. And Christians largely, I mean, there'd always be a few in a congregation that could hear what I was trying to say. But by and large, most Christians, you know, live in a fantasy world, to be brutally honest, where they're so absorbed in their own personal life, they're not thinking about the context in which their life is taking place. Now, the smarter business leaders are. If you're a really intelligent business leader, you're going to always be looking at the context of your industry. You're going to be looking at the context of the competition. You're going to be looking at the context of technology. You're going to be looking at the context of language. So those kinds of people, as you, as you said a moment ago, they realize nothing has changed. The only thing that's changed is that the war is now in your face up front, not trying to conceal anything. I actually like that kind of warfare. That allows us to be brutally honest with them in calling them out and recognizing that there is, or there is a, a climate that is, you know, the cancel climate is uh, you're either in or out. And I think that it's good that we're in the phase of in or out. And to our audience, Simon, that we're addressing here, I would encourage all of the business leaders that are in this group that you're working with, groups, we need to be very clear on how does our company, how does our industry best use communication so that we are standing for principles that we want to disseminate in a constant level, hopefully disseminate those principles even in the products or certainly in the services that we are using to advertise ourselves. as in we are in the business of empowering people and maintain almost a mantra-like approach to the relevancy of who we want to be in the business world in standing with the seed of the woman, not the seed of the serpent. Yeah, yeah that's a helpful um, way of approaching it, especially in terms of how it's going to be applied uh, in the business community. Um, in this session, you're going to talk a lot about our commitment as Christians to the issue of justice. Um, could you perhaps address that a, a little bit more in depth, particularly given the context that we find ourselves in today uh, in this uh, you know, Black Lives Matter culture, George Floyd, Me Too, 
um, you know, income inequalities, things of that nature. How are we to um, posture ourselves to be able to deal with issues of justice appropriately? For me, again, the issue goes back to empowerment. We can, if we are on the left, and again, our agendas create chaos. At this point, they're not trying to create order, they're trying to create chaos in order to put the current values at such risk and refuting them as having relevancy and pointing to the fact that it's falling apart, which they're secretly trying to accelerate and acting as if they're alarmed. They're not alarmed things are falling apart, they're glad. They're actually doing whatever they can, smarter ones, to make sure that it's falling apart more quickly, which again makes the general population willing to look at change and think about ideas they've never thought about before. That being the case, again, we need to ask ourselves the question, what has changed enough that the, our opponents believe they no longer have to hide? In the business school and other materials that we have, we always talk about the difference between justice and equality. That designation is critical and there's a very small part of the population that understands the difference. Justice is based on receiving due for what my input has been into a situation. In other words, justice deals with the consequences of involvement that I or other people have in any situation. Is my wage just? That is relative to the input. You can't have equal results with unequal inputs. I want to draw a big line under what I just said because the fallacy of socialism is the idea that inputs can be very different but should receive the same amount of money. If you get into the biblical examples of it, you know, that, that is wicked. It's wicked not to measure uh, according, to imp according to what you put in is what you get out. When the scripture talks about the judgment of God of our lives, it is going to be based on inputs, not based on not, not getting an equal result. Equality is really everybody's equal under the law. Everybody's equal under the rules of the game. You get equal responses, but you will never get or shouldn't get equal responses in justice because they're two totally different ideas. One makes sure it's a level playing field. Equality is designed to make sure our commitments are equally re resolved. Whereas justice is based on different levels of input, different levels of skill. There's no way that a doctor and the skills that the doctor and the training time that it took to get where he is, is going to get the same results as somebody who is uh, a carpenter. Now, you can have a great carpenter, 
and those who are skilled will always rise to the top of whatever whatever they're doing. But the idea that we should always have equal remuneration, for example, for the for different levels of skill and input is a very non-biblical idea. Lastly, again, a quick point. Are we after the plantation? Are we after people who are becoming increasingly uh, proficient themselves? And Can you explain, explain what you mean by plantation. The plantation model of the master who owns people and keeps them illiterate by law, keeps them deficient, keeps them poor, keeps them in fear. It's an authoritarian situation. Here in the United States, when you talk about the plantation, you know, most people know immediately what you're talking about. This goes to the core issue of public education. There's no way we're gonna get out of where we are. And this is where businesses need to be available to invest capital in creating education systems that will change the culture. Public education, as it now stands in any nation, is gonna be the determinant as to what level of people they produce and what common values you're gonna get. The education, especially the higher you get, if you wanna control culture, control universities. And that's exactly what, <clears throat> excuse me, what the leaders of the left set out to do in the Frankfurt group, and you're aware of that, where they strategically talked about how do we gain control of the world's best educational systems, and largely they have. That whole element of the pre professors at that level is gonna have to be turned over, and that's a fact. There's nothing we can do but enhance the speed at which those who are, are teaching what they're teaching are removed. Such great points. And to touch a little bit more on the seeming separation of business from education, it seems so ironic that the educational system should be, be about, should be being about equipping and training the next generation with the skills that they need exactly. in the marketplace. Yeah. The, the reality is, is that business the businesses and business leaders have been separated because there is a monopoly of power by this elitist group of professors in every public institution. How do you see the interaction in a, in a, if we could reform education where business leaders could be much more involved in this whole process, what might that look like? You're full of great questions. Uh, you're t-balling for me. <laughs> I appreciate the t-ball we're doing here. When I teach on, on macroeconomics and political economics, you cannot separate economics from politics. When I get around my, my really pure economist friends, you know, in the discussions, inevitably, I will try and ground them uh, you know, I don't have a degree in economics. All my study in economics has been largely on my own behalf. Uh, and the extrapolation of economic principles from, from uh, normal principles, uh, comprehensive principles. Um, 
one of the main things that any responsible government, you, as you know, Simon, my, my work right now is in discipling nations in very practical ways. You know, it's a commandment to disciple nations. You know, beyond prayer, what are you going to do to strengthen a nation? Well, you're going to get very involved in political economics because that is what nations run on and the whole issue of approaching culture and how do we change culture from a Christian point of view. In one sense, we're in a major revolution right now because Christianity has seldom ever really discipled nations. The business community discipled nations. The church did some discipling on basic theology, but the church did not bring the message of the kingdom of God. And that was the great problem that we've had globally. Because when you get into a kingdom message, you're getting into the holistic question of how do you create a nation based on principles that are biblical. And in the economic realm, a responsible nation is gonna be joined with the business community in deciding really major influence on the education of what kind of a workforce are we gonna create? What kind of skill sets are required for the future? There used to be at least the appearance of a connection between industry leaders and the politicians about you know, what kind of workforce are we gonna create? That seems to have dissolved totally. And to see the kingdom of God spread, which is again, our commitment for the business school and everything else, we're gonna have to get a much tighter bond between the business community and the political community on making sure we're producing work labor forces that are gonna give us competitive advantages in all realms of business. I was struck by a comment that you made in your book, um, Doing Business God's Way, where you said that those who create justice and capital will lead in the 21st century. Why do you tie both of those things together? And why is it those two things in particular that are going to be the factors that contribute to leadership in our current world today? Obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, I believe strongly in that equation that uh, justice and capital creation are two sides of the same coin. Question is, how do we, cre how do we maximize the creation of capital and maximize the empowerment of people at the same time. You, you've seen numbers of documents, especially that I've created over here in the last 10 years. I talk about sustainable prosperity for the largest number of people. And I've tried to make that, again, a mantra phrase that we can use to begin to organize people around uh, sustainable uh, growth, sustainable justice for the maximum number. Ultimately, when a society gets out of balance, which we are now in every way, the elite, the gap, economic gap between the elite and even the secondary level of first level players becomes so great 
that the system is out of balance, almost like a separation of powers phenomena, where the chemistry is so out of balance because that amount of money is able to purchase an enormous amount of time. The relationship between capital and time is a huge issue because you compress time with money. And those who have the greatest amount of money are sitting on the greatest amount of potential compressed time of numbers of people who are pushing the agenda of the wealthy. And the agenda is gonna be driven, and now the question is, is the agenda gonna be driven to empower other people or to keep the super rich and the super powerful in control in an uncontested way. Uh, a lot of people, in fact, I don't even know where or when I started talking about the compression of time with money, uh, but it's, it's an obvious strategic issue. And now, again, we're back to how do we as Christians mobilize the assets of the business world so that we are the ones that are compressing time and the values that we're compressing in terms of employment, using money to employ, is again the empowerment of people. God will always honor people and organizations that are committed to empowerment. The cross of Christ is God's greatest statement about his level of commitment to the empowerment of people. And he will always finance those who are trying to empower people. Why is it that? What is it about the nature of Christ's death on the cross that empowers others? He, he satisfied the issue of justice, which is a big deal for God, mm. a much bigger deal for him than it is for us, because mm. he sees the game on a level we don't see. He, in his death, gave me the right to become infinitely empowered. Mm. Wow. And there's no question that the level of death that he experienced in that crucifixion was like the summation of all the worst kinds of death in human history. Mm. It was not just a simple crucifixion, the greatest challenge of which was a separation from God the Father, which for him would have been unspeakably painful. We, again, we can't relate to that because we've never had the relationship with God the Father that he did, but he died so that we could. That is such a core reality of the nature of God. It is the greatest lie Satan never told was God is afraid to empower you. That is why he doesn't want you to have knowledge. Nothing could be further from the truth than that lie. And again, in the business context, uh, whoever is after the empowerment of everybody they touch and has got a social awareness uh, of the responsibility of the business community and, and the pent-up time that the business community has in the asset of money, 
because money and time are directly related in terms of power. Uh, and that is what we want to see. We want to see business leaders and business organizations that recognize the power of what they have and unify where they can unify to make sure that the school systems and the institutions of culture are promoting the empowerment of people. Well, this is great, and I wish we could have more time to unpack this, but we're going to have a lot of fodder here for our own forum discussion. So thank you, Dennis. My joy. Thanks for listening to The Point from Bridgepoint Forum. This podcast is a portion of our full lecture and forum presentation. Bridgepoint Forum enables Christians to bridge faith and work by applying biblically-based economic principles, spiritual formation, and application for effective change in their workplace. Please visit us at bridgepointforum.org for more information.